The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. I have a question for you guys. Are you perfect? Answer honestly. Are you perfect? You are. That's awesome. Give me five. Are you perfect? Are you perfect, Max? Yes. Well, that's good because, you know, when God looks. Okay, well, hang on for a second. When God looks on you, he sees you as perfectly the way he created you. Because he loves you so much. Now, what did you want to say, Max? Um, Reader's Digest version. You can't do that? What did you want to say? Um, that you could give homeless people money and some stuff, but give homeless people and not have anything. So one way to love people and see them as perfect is by giving them a homeless person money or something to help them. Or a car. So, or a car. Wow. Wow, that's awesome that you would be so generous. So it's time to go with Miss Annalise, and you guys have fun, and we'll see you in a few minutes, okay? All right. Let us pray. We thank you, gracious God, for this wonderful opportunity to bow our hearts and our minds before you and invite your spirit to fill us anew with your love. May all that we do in these moments be reflective of the lessons that we have learned and, we have, and may we leave this place more in the image of the Christ we serve and in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I have a question for you. Is anyone here besides me hard on yourself? You know, the old adage that uh, you're your own worst critic? That's true. 
for me, that's my temperament. If you go to the Myers-Briggs temperament uh, sorter, the personality thing, I am a rational, an I-N-T-X. I split the J and the P for those of you who are familiar with those things. And one of the things that it says about my temperament is that there is no one harsher, there's no harsher critic than yourself. I don't think you have to be a rational in order to be a, a critic of yourself. Give me some ways that you're hard on yourself. How are you hard on yourself? I think I can always do better. I can always do better. Overthinking. Pardon? Not being good enough. Okay. Okay. Don't have enough patience. Where does that come from? Where does that harshness, being hard on ourselves, where does that come from? Sometimes from parents, certainly. Sometimes from teachers. Now, I didn't have the privilege of attending a Catholic school, but some of the friends of mine who have attended a Catholic school have told me about nuns and how they have a way of reminding you that you are less than perfect. Now, quite honestly, some of the roots of my own harshness on myself are directly in the study of Scripture. I don't know how you feel about lessons like our gospel lesson for today. Let's look at that again. Let's see if this affects you in the same way it affects me. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. How good are you at that? If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. How good are you at that? If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand your coat over as well. How good are you at that? If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Notice that Jesus didn't say, unless this is like the eighth time they've been to you. Hard teachings. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. How good are you at that? And then there's the line at the end. That's just the kicker. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How good are you at that? <laughs> now, in fairness, the context of this is he's, Jesus is talking about love. And he talks about the, the way that God loves, that God's love is, is, is not a respecter of per persons. God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And in loving unconditionally, 
we then reflect the fact that we are the true children of God. That's hard for me. Now, if that weren't enough, look at the epistle lesson that we heard just a few moments ago as well. And the Apostle Paul is good at heaping on guilt. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Now, I don't know how you interpret that, but in the time and place where I was raised, there were certain things that you didn't put into your body because your body is the temple of God. Now, granted, that was before I became an Episcopalian, you know, (laughs) and some of those things aren't issues anymore. But how many of us are, are critical of ourselves, hard on ourselves? If we take that, my body is the temple of God, and I get on the scale, and I realize I'm a little overweight. Or I get the lab report back from my physical and see that my blood sugar level is a little high, or my cholesterol is a little high, and, and I hear my doctor saying, you need not, not eat so much red meat, and you need to cut out sweets, and you need to not drink, and you need to... Not all, all those things. And I think, ah, I'm never going to make this body the true temple of God. So sometimes the very scripture that we read reinforces some of those self-critical attitudes. So where do we find an answer? If you've been around St. Wilfrid's for any period of time and have heard me preach, you know that one of the one of the things that is a magnet to me is where in the lectionary there are holes. We have such an example of that with the epistle reading this morning. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, and then skipped to verse 16. And I always ask myself when I see those holes, what's missing? And the conspiracy theorist part of me wonders, what those who put the lectionary together, what didn't they want us to know? Verses 12 through 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 say this. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. That says to me that as harsh a critic as I might be of myself, in the final analysis, the final judge of all this 
will be God in testing my life, sometimes through fire. Now, what does that look like? Most of us don't like to think about walking through fire, but all of our lives contain some periods or some experiences where we're tested. And I've learned through the course of my life that sometimes that testing reveals something good that I didn't realize existed. Quick example, I may have used this before, some of you may have heard it, so forgive me if it's, if it's repetitious. But I began my ministry as a youth pastor, minister of youth and music in the Church of the Nazarene. And that was at a time where no church hired someone to do each individually. They had to put them together because no music minister could spend all the time doing music and no youth pastor could spend all the time doing youth, so you had to put those things together to make it worth their while. Well, youth was one of those areas that I never had a great deal of confidence in myself. And there were some kids in my first church in Oklahoma that reinforced that youth ministry was not my gift. (laughs) There were some problem children. And I would beat my head against the wall and I beat myself up because somehow I was never able to get through to some of those kids and and one particular in this group, a boy that I just couldn't seem to get through and, and he acted like I didn't even exist I left that church and went on to other places and other ministries but youth ministry continued to be a part of my life more than I ever expected that it would. Some years later, probably 15 years later, I'm at the general convention of the Nazarene Youth International in San Antonio, Texas. I had just been elected to serve as the regional president for the Southwest United States and that uh, and that ministry, which meant that I had some, some far-reaching responsibilities. And in that arena, with some 20,000 people there, at the end of that service where we were commissioned, those of us who had been elected, there was a young man who came forward. And he stuck out his hand and he said, You're Michael Archer? I said, yes. He said, you probably don't remember me. But you were my youth pastor. And he said, you used to go to my football games. And I'd pretend like I didn't even know you were there. But I knew you were there. And he said, I want you to know how meaningful that was to me. And he handed me his business card as a youth pastor in Washington, (laughs) D.C. And in that moment, I realized the harshness of the criticism I directed toward myself 
God took my efforts, even when I felt like they didn't measure up, and used them for good. There's an old song that uh, I, I used to hear when I was growing up. Probably few of you, if any, have ever heard it, but it talks about that little is much if God is in it. If our hearts are devoted to God, God takes what we do in God's name and brings beyond what we can ever imagine. What does that mean for our harshness? We often judge ourselves on the basis of how we relate with other people. And a lot of the scripture has to do with how we relate to other people. You know, love your enemies. Pray for those who take advantage of you. And we judge ourselves. Some of us feel like that we are so bad that God wouldn't have anything to do with us. And we have to somehow find our way. If we do enough good things, then maybe, maybe I will earn my way into God's good graces. Graces. You know what that word grace means? You've heard that word, right? Grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Grace isn't something you earn. It's something God gives freely. And Jesus said it this way in the gospel lesson for today that God causes the, to rain on the just and the unjust. God cares for us regardless of what our actions might be. Here at St. Wilfrid's, we have a vision statement that drives what we do. It's in our bulletins. You hear it from time to time. We're a Christian community seeking to know and unconditionally share God's unfailing love. That was very intentionally crafted. And the, the way that that works, the three main components, we are a Christian community and we seek to know or experience God's unfailing love. It's when we experience that unfailing love that we are best able to then share that love. It's not the other way around. You've heard it described sometimes people who've had very intimate encounters with God, the thin places, mountaintop experiences. Those experiences, by and large, are moments when we understand just how deeply loved we really are. And it's in that that we find our real purpose. It's in that experience of unconditional love that we find our identity as children of God. But we spend so much of our lives focused on what we do and whether what we do measures up to God's expectations or our own expectations or the expectations of someone we care about and we live so critical of ourselves. In 10 days... We enter the season of Lent. Lent is an opportunity for us to intentionally, for 40 days, invite the Spirit of God to shine on our lives and remind us 
that God loves us in spite of our sinfulness. My prayer is that as we enter this season together, we will all find places and ways to be reminded of how deeply loved we are. My prayer is that you will be overwhelmed in this Lenten season with the awareness of God's love for you. And that that renewed awareness would give you what you need to then be about interacting with people, even your harshest critics, your harshest critic within, with the same kind of love that God displays toward you. May we move into this season with that being our goal. And may God be faithful to show us that unconditional love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.